Welcome to the fourth episode of Demol Belgium Germany Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone, and joining me for what is technically his 300th episode recording is the Canadian who I've heard on the grapevine does not list balls as one of his fears, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I worded that deliberately weirdly because obviously we are recording other things as well, spoilers, and uh, we completely do not make a song and dance about the fact that it's Logan's 300th episode during those ones we've recorded. So this is technically your 300th recording. Not your 300th episode, just your 300th recording. I guess I have to have the skateboarding showdown with Tony Hawk, right? Seriously, you could have mentioned Tony Hawk every time I mentioned the number 300. Probably. I think this is three times now. <laughs> at, le- uh, at least twice, I know of. It's definitely three. <laughs> and how has your week been? Uh, it's been fine. The weather is getting better around Canada, but, well, or, well, from what I know for sure is where I live, the weather is getting better anyway, and COVID is out of control. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> and that's really the only two new things going on since restrictions are piling on again. Yeah, Canada's not doing very well at the moment, is it? No, and then if you if you go way back east, uh, Montreal had a big riot over their COVID restrictions. When is Quebec not rioting about something, though? Well, whenever... Apparently, they don't riot if there aren't COVID restrictions and if the Montreal Canadiens are doing well in hockey. Where was it that um, actually did have a full-on riot when their hockey team lost? That was Vancouver. That was, that was, Stanley Cup. That was the Stanley Cup final. Because it's very rare for a Canadian team to make the Stanley Cup final for some reason over the past 15 years. Yeah, I was going to say, I was pretty confident that it was Canada. I just couldn't remember exactly where. Actually, ever since then, I can't think of a time a Canadian team has even made the hockey final. It's always been two American teams at the end, or it's happened a couple times. It happened once or twice, at least recently, where there weren't even any Canadian teams that made the playoffs. And 16 out of 32 teams make the playoffs in hockey. Always fun when that sort of thing happens. Yeah, like 16 out of 31 teams made the playoffs and none of them were Canadian. It's like, isn't that kind of like, other than lacrosse, that's our national sport? (laughs) And we get a lot of sports coverage this episode. Yeah, we do. That might be why I wasn't as into it as I usually am with Belgi, I think. I really didn't like the first challenge. Spoilers for that. I really didn't enjoy the football challenge. We did get a warning that there is going to be a lot of... that. It's like, well, the first challenge is not going to be everyone's favourite if you aren't from Belgium. <laughs> I don't even think it's if you're not from Belgium. It's If you're not into sports. Yeah, it's the combination of the fact that I don't particularly like football. Added into that, I knew none of the answers, obviously. I had heard of one of the people speaking that we saw. And yeah, it just wasn't my favourite challenge. I said to Bindles when I watched it yesterday that I think that first challenge actually may be a contender for my most kind of, eh, Belgian challenge ever. Well, because it was Belgian soccer knowledge, which would be very specific. And of course they had the bell, I guess, I presume whoever was commentating is quite famous in Belgium. I would assume so as well. I know Gilles presents uh, football shows when he's not doing mole, so it's probably one of his friends. But yeah, if you're like us, where you're not from Belgium and you're not really into sports, because you're too busy doing podcasts about the mole, then I'm going to guess this isn't going to rank too highly amongst the international community. 
<laughs> yeah. I think I am the outlier when I say that I really didn't enjoy that first challenge. But I didn't enjoy that first challenge, and that's all that matters. <laughs> I really liked the, the Zorb soccer, though. Having everyone in a ball, and that, that was amusing to watch. Let's actually get into the episode. We can discuss it properly. Yeah. So previously, the final eight lamented the loss of both Kevin and Dami again before splitting up to either become dog walkers or the subjects of a hypnotism show. When everyone came back together, Samina and Noah were able to break the spell, but Lennart couldn't recreate the list. At a paper factory, two pairs betrayed the group, attempting to win Passfragen that they had printed, but only Katrina and Yasmin succeeded in their quest. Philip's clumsiness, combined with a little help from newest arrival Isidore the Deshund, stopped them winning any money in the factory before Noah was sent home. And as I did predict last week, and I know you've already seen the screenshot because I sent it to you as soon as I was watching it, Isidore does get a title card. I'm finally getting into the mind of Gilles de Costa a little bit, I think, because I did predict that last week. And Isidore is seven years old. He is. I uh, was slightly wrong last week when I said that he had a bio on the website, but there was a bio released to the press of Isidore as soon as that episode aired last week. So he was born before the Argentina season, or just before it? He would have been born 2013, so a few years before Argentina. Wonder, because dogs die earlier than humans do. I wonder if they're like they do another three or four seasons of Belgium and Isidore dies. If they're going to have like an in memory and have a whole uh, dedication montage thing for it for Isidore. You mean like a black title card saying Isidore 2013 to 2022 or whatever? Yes. With a piano version of the theme music, obviously. Yeah, kind of like what they do with the Oscars. Just a whole montage. This is a really dark way to start the episode. <laughs> just talking about when Izzy dies. I think it's because my sister's dog just died like a month or so ago, so that's probably why it came to mind. Because my sister's dog just died and she was 15? That's a good inning for a dog. Yeah, she was a little uh, Shih shit Tzu Bijan. Given it's about seven human years to one dog year, that's a pretty good innings for a dog. That's, what, 105? Yeah, I think that's what it works out to. And Isidore in human years would be 44, apparently. Which would make him the oldest contestant on the season. No, because Philip's here. So it is day nine in Munich, otherwise known as October 4th. And I believe we did actually work out it was roughly in that date range last week. Yeah, yeah, yes. Another tick for us, uh from last week, because thanks to the weirdo hypnotist posting pictures on Instagram, I knew it was sometime between uh, 1st and 7th of October. So he would have seen them on October 2nd. And it is also World Animal Day, so the introduction to the episode is people describing what animals they would be. This is a weird segment. I think it's because Jill's actually... One good thing about the season, they filmed it during COVID. They knew it would air during COVID. So they, they're trying to add in as, as much just off-the-wall humour as possible. Yeah, so far four episodes in. I would say the previous season it's most like is probably Argentina, actually. We can actually say that now we've uh, now we've covered all of them. I think this is closest to Argentina and Vibe so far. Because someone like Yasmin you could easily see on that Argentina cast in terms of temperament. But then on top of that, they're being a bit more experimental because of the circumstances. And it has an Argentinian vibe for me in that when they filmed the Argentina season, they really didn't know 100% what was going to work, what wouldn't. And because of the COVID restrictions this time, they're kind of having to be a little bit more creative with the twists and that sort of stuff, because they can't have 
Gilles in the same room all the time. And if Gilles there, he has to be in a big open space away from them and things. So they kind of have to mess around with things in that respect. It feels very experimental to me this season so far. Not to mention the Airbnbs and the places they've been renting out are very similar to the ones they had in Argentina. Yeah. It's just kind of struck me in the past couple of days that this does feel very Argentinian. It's weird for us because obviously this time last year we were in the thick of recording the Argentina season as well as stumbling through Greece at the time. So it's really weird to kind of think, well, 12 months ago we were in the thick of like the COVID restrictions and stuff, and obviously this week the UK's restrictions have lifted ever so slightly. We can actually go to the pub now, as long as it's outside. But we were in the thick of the COVID restrictions last year, and having that vibe of going through a really experimental season with Argentina, and then obviously, as we said, they kind of worked out what worked with the casting and with the challenges and stuff, and then applied it to South Africa. But it really feels very experimental this season, because they have a lot more additional requirements where they've got to be careful about the space between people and not going seeing locals that much and things. It just feels like they're trying to get a bit more creative with these challenges again. Which, I mean, it's not to say they've not been creative in the past five years over this, but it really feels like they've gone back to the drawing board a little bit because they do have all these additional requirements. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what challenge, what types of challenges end up being a recurrence in future seasons. Yeah, because the only future challenge we know of is there is an abseil down a building of some description. Other than that, we really don't know much, which is very interesting. So contestants compare themselves to animals. Yeah, what animal would you compare yourself to? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I have a... I mean, because of my long hair and my beard at times, I kind of look like a lion. (laughs) This is a very kind of typical quiz show application question where they put in these weird and wonderful questions to try and work out your personality and stuff and get a little bit of humanity out of you even even before they properly start speaking to you and stuff. Uh, what animal would you be if uh, if you had to be an animal that wasn't a human? And we get some really quirky choices in this one, I would say. Because you start with Anna Lotta, who describes herself as a cat, because obviously her nickname is Lottie Pussy, but then Jill describes her as the quirky dog whisperer. Lena would be a bird, because you can fly over people. Philip's a gorilla, because from a distance you think it's dangerous. Yasmin would be a dog, because she's basic. Sven is a lion, because he's a leader. Katrine is a chameleon, because she's adaptable. And Samina is a tiger, or maybe a llama, because she'll spit in your face. And then Joseph Costa plays plays into that, saying, Yeah, yeah, Samina's playing a solid game, but she's somebody who can spit in your face. <laughs> It sounds like the sort of clip that if it was done in English, I would put on the soundboard like I do with the Amazing Race ones of this description. It's like magic in my fingers. And then at the end, he says, there is one animal that nobody compared themselves to, a mole. It's like no one no one wanted to go the mole route, eh? Generate suspicion. Do you think after the season when Jill's watching the cuts of these episodes, he has so much fun coming with these um, these intros? Yeah, especially when Samina says, ah, I can spit in your face. Oh, so you're a llama. It's another Argentina reference. (laughs) Isn't that what Kathy did to all the other contestants? Something like that, yeah. Maybe not in Hannah's face, but everyone else's, I think she did. Yeah, Hannah's face twice. And also something that's back from last season that I'm very excited to talk about is the fact that they're finally wearing their thumbprint sweaters. We talked about these so much last season, and then 
they've kind of disappeared off the face of the earth. And this was actually spotted in the uh, in the next time trailer on the Bothers Bar Discord last week. So I kind of knew that there would be thumbprint sweaters this week, which is cool. But then they didn't spoil the fact that Isidore has a thumbprint sweater as well, which is very cute. And in a change from the usual programming, they don't even give us a German quote this time. So I actually get a week off trying to butcher the German language. Instead, we get football is a simple game, and in the end, the Germans win from Gary Lineker. Who's Gary Lineker? So Gary Lineker is one of England's top former football players. He is basically the number one pundit for uh, football matches, but he also um, is a crisp magnet. He has been advertising Walker's crisps since about 1986, and um, they are also known around the world as Lay's, which were quite visible in this episode. Oh, I was oh potato chips. Okay, yes. In Canada, the guy who did Lay's commercials was a hockey player. His name was uh, Mark Messier, and the whole slogan was "But you can't eat just one." And that commercial must have aired everywhere on TV for about, I want to say, probably about five or six years. It seemed like it was on for quite a while, and eventually he didn't have to do those commercials anymore. So they are all leaving dressed in their thumbprint sweaters, scored to a German version of the monkeys, I'm a believer. Lennart and Sven are very excited that the GPS takes them not to the Olympia Stadion, but inside the Olympia Stadion, where Belgium won the World Cup, and where Jean-Marie Pfaff, Philip's favourite person in the entire world, played as Bayern Munich's keeper. And Gilles is looking for four footballers that can take a hit, and three Jean-Marie's. They have a small amount of training before deciding that Yasmin and Alossa Lennart and Sven are footballers, and Samina, Katrine and Philip are the Jean-Marie's. The Jean-Marie's have to defend their net against penalties. Each penalty that they miss will lose them €1,000 of the possible 4000 on offer in the challenge. How many penalties are taken is determined by the other four. Jill says, knowing full well that he has come up with a brilliant pun here, he says in pandemic times, it's dangerous to play football with people outside of your bubble, so they will be playing football inside bubbles. And basically they just strap them inside Zorbs and make them run around the Olympia Stadium. It almost reminds me of, uh, actually, this is probably back when I was in the ninth grade, so this would be quite a while ago now, well, 15 years ago. There used to be this like this online version of soccer that we used to play in career and personal planning class or cap class, and there was so much downtime that we all ended up getting hooked into this one website, and it was called Slime Soccer, where you just played soccer as these poorly drawn slime creatures. So this is kind of what it reminded me of. Just the awkward contact that the players had between each other and people randomly being upside down. I'm thinking, this this, this kind of reminds me of slime soccer. Yeah, it's, it's just... I think it's one of those things where it just isn't my sort of challenge, this one. I'm not sure I would have a lot of fun attempting this challenge and playing it. I'm not sure I'm the kind of desired audience to watch it. Did it remind you too much of a TV show like Wipeout or something? No, I love Wipeout. I love anything like that in moderation, at least. It's just... It's just because it's soccer? Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely not the target audience for, for football anyway, but it just doesn't appeal to me like most of the Belgian Mole challenges do. And it's not a massive complaint, because I'm fully aware that I am kind of an outlier on this. It's just... It's not the sort of thing that will appeal to me, this this challenge. I will say, as somebody from Canada, 
seeing a high scoring because the main criticism why main criticism why uh soccer isn't popular in Canada is because the score is always too low and nobody wants to see a tie game since ties aren't really allowed in any of our other sports. But here it's a high scoring game. We just we just go boom 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 to all of the goals and see all of the exciting hits. Like no one likes to watch soccer here because it's not no one wants to sit for two hours and it still be zero zero. That would cause riots. The one positive I will say for this challenge is I don't think it's that easy for the mole to mess with this challenge too much. The mole can't have that much of an impact. Uh, I don't know. I think you could still mess up quite a bit as the mole and still cost a lot of money out of the pot. I think you can mess up, but I don't think that this challenge lives or dies on the mole messing with things. It's not one of those challenges where the mole can just do one action and it screws up the entire challenge, I don't think. It requires so many more people to kind of mess things up for, for that to happen. Yeah, because I was thinking in the Zorb portion of it, I mean, you could say refuse to block the goal or say, hey, you, or direct where people should be after the German score a goal and it'd still be in a terrible position for everyone to be in. You could always make sure you don't kick it. In. You can make sure you're in control of the ball and always kick it offside. I think there's a fair amount you can do since you're just one of four people. That's a 25% uh, decrease in effort if the mole is in that group. Where would you place yourself as a mole? Would you want to be in the group of four or do you want to be, uh, be in the group of three? I think I would want to be in the group of four because then you can control uh, the more penalty kicks there are. That's what determines if there's going to be zero, zero euros or not. Yeah, I think you kind of want to be in the group of four. But the other element of that is because one person has to sit out in each round, you're then only impacting three quarters of the rounds. Because they only really drew attention to that in the first one, but there's only three players on the pitch each time. I guess four would have just been too much. Yeah. So you actually only are impacting three quarters of the the penalty amounts, and then you're sitting out after that and not having any control over whether the money goes in the pot or not. You can only make it harder for the money to go in the pot if you're in that group of four. You can't actually stop the money going in the pot. Yeah, it doesn't guarantee that it's... But if you had zero mole... If nobody is the mole in that group of four, if they happen to score all the goals, then boom, the 4,000 euros is in the pot. I think it's one of those challenges where you, you can't say for certain where the mole should be, which is something that is a massive positive at least. <laughs> It's not going to be all bitching about this uh, about this challenge from me. It's at least creative enough that if this appeared on Vidum, I would have hated it because they just don't have the the creativity. At least Belgium think about these things and make it a little bit more fun, even if it's not my favourite challenge ever. So each goal that the German team scores, because they are playing against four allegedly amateur German players, is a penalty that the is a penalty that the Jean Marie's will have to save and they are playing on a miniature version of the pitch inside the Olympia Stadion, and they will play four rounds before the first set of penalties, and then another four rounds, and then the second set of penalties. So, yeah, the Germans score first. Yasmin says she has a strategy of just ram whatever you come across. Sven pushes an opponent over and scores a goal for the team. He then kicks someone over and scores the second time. And Lennart is pushed completely upside down and stuck with his legs in the air. <laughs> I like how he was like a turtle on its back. It's gutting that I could not make that the banner this week, because I really wanted to, but I just couldn't get a clean shot of it. 
being honest. It would have had all the graphics over it and stuff. It's really disappointing, but I couldn't use that one as much as I would have loved to. I've never seen somebody look so helpless in my life. Because the thing is, this happened more than once as well. It was not just once that they uh, that they managed to push Lennart completely upside down and stuck like a turtle with his legs in the air. It's like, oh, I guess we're down to two. It was at least two, if not three times. And it was very entertaining every time. I guess you would need more core strength to get you yourself out of that position. Yeah, and Lennart's quite a small guy as well, I think. Yeah, he he doesn't strike me as a guy who has a strong core. No. He is allegedly a, a football and a handball player, I think. You just couldn't necessarily see that in action here. <laughs> I guess he just hasn't played football in a Zor before. So Philip is the first person to defend the goal. The others will watch a football interview and answer a question about it. The answer that is correct will tell Philip where the ball will be shot, either zone A, zone B, or zone C. Katrina and Samina have to pick the answer that Jean-Marie Faf gave to why he changed his shorts halfway through a match. Either his red shorts are in the wash, normally he plays in blue, it's his favourite colour, or he accidentally wore the trainer's shorts. They say B, and they were right, but Philip still lets it in. With the worst jump I've ever seen. <laughs> Do you think Philip was mulling in, in this? I think he was mulling on the first one there. Yeah, because his first one was also the only one where we saw the penalty taker really try and boot it. For the other four, he didn't put as much power behind it, but he absolutely lobs it at Philip's face in that first one. That would be scary as hell if, you don't, if you've never defended in soccer before. Yeah, and also, football nets are a lot wider than you would expect them to be. It's kind of understandable for him missing it, saying that as someone who is not even remotely sporty. It just feels like Philip was maybe sabotaging deliberately a little bit there. I know if I was, because I mean, I played soccer in gym class in high school, but I was never the keeper. But I'm thinking, man, if there was somebody in my class who's really booting the ball and it was coming right in my face, maybe I have that same hesitancy to throw my arms into the air to block it because... I'm thinking, oh man, if this ball hits my arms, my arms are going to be broken or really sore for a long time. <laughs> so I can see that hesitation there. Yeah. So Samina is second in goal. Philip and Katrine have to say whether Raymond Guthals said he was right 50% of the time, 90% of the time, or 99% of the time when putting together a team. They answer B. It is 99.9. The ball absolutely dawdles in. <laughs> It's like me playing Rocket League. It just kind of slowly goes in at 10 miles an hour. She could have easily stopped it, but she didn't because she was in the wrong place. And then the final balls are played. Lennus is immediately knocked over again. And Annalotta claims that they're clearly saying Ramos in German. The German guy says, I'll ram you too. And she's like, I've had worse offers. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I couldn't help but type that in there. It's like the chirpy man actually responds with, yeah, I'll ram you too. I'm like, okay, this guy sounds like a sex offender. <laughs> Sven scores again. They finally realize that they have to leave someone by the goal, but Annalotta misses and another goal gets scored by the Germans. Yasmin then tries to defend again, but they let a second ball in and they manage to defend a while, but the third ball goes in their net. And Leonard says, I have the urge to ram one of them, but I won't. I'm like, okay, that's still a bit gross, Leonard, but at least at least you're not the worst human being on that soccer pitch right now. You're not the worst by default. <laughs> the two sweetest words in the English language. By default. So Katrine is third to defend the goal. 
they have to give the excuse that Kenny Thompson gave. They say B originally, but then change to A, and are wrong. Samina goes back in net, they have to complete a Lou Van Gaal quote, and pick A, and Samina is the only one to actually catch the ball. Then Philip goes for the final ball, they have to complete a French quote, and go for C. It was A, and they earn nothing of 4,000 euros for the challenge. And Gilles also announces to them that they are leaving Munich now to head into the Bavarian Alps. And this is one hell of a multilingual group, because those answers were shown on screen in Flemish, English, and French, and I believe they all read all of them with proficiency. Like, I think it was Katrine who read the English answers out loud, and I'm like, oh, she just read that perfectly. No hesitation, no stumbling over the sentences. It was just boom. Well, yeah, we know that Philip speaks German at least very well, if not fluently. You can pretty much guarantee that at least one person in this cast is from uh, from the French-speaking bit of Belgium, because they usually cast at least one token person. And, let's be honest, French and English are probably the second languages that are taught in their schools, I would guess, being logical about it. I'm not surprised, it's just very impressive when you see it put together in a challenge like this, where there are five potential questions, and all of them do seem to be in a different language each time. I do wonder whether questions six, seven, and eight would have had like Spanish for Samina, Arabic maybe for Kevin as a surprise return. <laughs> yeah. And then the final one is just in Wingdinks. We just see who knows the Microsoft Word font. But yeah, I was I was thinking, man, I bet you, I bet you, well, Philip for sure, English, Flemish, German, and French. Yeah, definitely the first three. Yeah. So I'm thinking there's got to be people in that cast that probably know f- that can read and speak four languages. It's like, man, that, especially with the way they went through the French sentences, I'm thinking I took French all the way through to the end of high school and it was equivalent to first year university French where we had to write like big provincial exams. I'm thinking, man, they went through it faster just reading it, just rattling it off faster than I ever did. <laughs> it also depends on whether they know the quotes as well. Because the 99.9% one, I think Philip did know it off the top of his head. So it depends how famous these quotes are. Because the only person I recognised was Lou Van Hall, who used to be Manchester United manager. So I knew of him. Didn't know the quote. Didn't know any of these answers. It would have just been a gigantic guessing game for me, being honest. I didn't know a single person in that entire challenge. <laughs> And I don't think anybody in Canada would either, unless they were born in Europe and then moved to Canada. So they are heading to Fronten, a town on the Austrian border. It is all, unsurprisingly, a very pretty drive. And one of them is indeed Fronten, because behind it all, they are the mole. That is true. And I'm very disappointed that Fronten by Farewell Williams did not play when they (laughs) entered the town. And they are staying in a typical Bavarian guest house for the next few days. Sven doesn't know how to start making his bed, even though he knows how to make his bed, he just doesn't know where to start. And they all seem to have bunk beds, like Logan has put their accommodation and put them in a hostel. <laughs> and we also see a scene of them in the hot tub, making a strategy. They don't talk about what they're going to do before a challenge, which is a bad idea. Everyone is so suspicious of each other. Philip says he's scared of balls because his glasses were broken so frequently as a child. So it was a really bad idea putting him in net. Can you imagine somebody just trying to do the Harry Potter spell on him? Oculus Repero, Philip. Oh, 
my glasses are fixed. Now I can definitely defend. There's a lot of fingers pointed at the end of that first challenge. I think everyone gets suspected at least once. There really is, and someone is on the right lines here by the end of this episode, I think, because by default, everyone basically is suspected in some capacity. Yeah, this isn't a group that... I mean, we already saw this with the chair explosion challenge, and then here we have the pass dragon challenge at the end of the episode where... No one is even thinking about going for the 5,000 euros. Like, there is just no trust in this group. I saw the theory on Reddit yesterday that, is this all Bart's fault? Because as soon as Bart lets people know that spending 10,500 euros for a fry stelling is a good idea, it kind of lets the genie out of the bottle and it's very hard to put him back in. That's socially acceptable to just take large chunks of money out of the pot? Yeah. I mean, we did see it with Vidim earlier this year, too, and 5,000 euros does a hell of a lot more damage in Vidim than it does in Belgi. It does. It's just... It's an interesting theory that I was reading, because there's sort of a, a half Flemish, half English thread on Demol, which I've just found, which is very helpful for me. But someone did raise the point on there that as soon as Bart makes it socially acceptable last season, everyone kind of goes, well, I'm not spending the most money on an advantage here. It has been done worse. Somebody has spent more than twice as much as this. Granted, it was just for past Rigan, but... Still. <laughs> yeah, it's like, does, does does that mean that a past Rigan is about half as valuable as a rice gelling? So, so let's say 5,200 euros should be, the, should be the maximum you're allowed to take out of the pot for a past Rigan? Because when you think about it, like... Freistelling, that gets you a free pass into the episode. Pass Fragen doesn't even guarantee you get into the next episode. Yeah, it depends how many Pass Fragen as well. Well, Sven was willing to take out 5,000 euros just for one. <laughs> I don't think even Bart would have taken out 5,000 euros for one Pass Fragen. He'd be like, screw this, let's go for the money. No, because we said last week, I know we're skipping the middle challenge completely here, but as we said last week, I think the rough figure for Pass Fragen is about 250 euros per fast Fragen is acceptable. Anything more than that, and you're paying a bit too much over the odds. Well, Sven wanted to stay so badly, he was willing to bump it up by 2,000%. Yeah, I have a theory on that, but we'll get to that in a minute. So she'll meet them on day 10, five of them will get to venture out and explore the surroundings of their guest house, the other two will stay indoors and become binge-watchers. Those two binge watchers are Anna Lotta and Katrine. Would you have volunteered to binge watch? That landscape looked pretty damn beautiful. I think the only thing that would make me decide to be a binge watcher is if everyone's like, well, this guy has seen every episode of Survivor and Amazing Race and all these other TV shows. He should probably be the binge watcher for the sake of the group. <laughs> this guy has literally now spent 300 recordings talking about television. Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, I guess I'll have to be the binge watcher and bite the bullet on this one. So the binge watchers will get four questions about famous TV series for 500 euros each. The four questions are, in which year did Alain Van Damme get his tonsils removed? Which drink did Carrie Bradshaw order at the wedding of Madeline and Jeremy? Jamie Lannister stabbed the Mad King, it says in the question. I'm assuming it's not the Mad King, because I've never seen Game of Thrones. In the back, but what else did he do to make sure he was dead in Game of Thrones? And Spongebob has a pet named Droopy. What is Droopy? 
did you know what Droopy was? No, I didn't know Droopy. I feel like I've heard the name before, but did you did you know? I've never seen SpongeBob, but I believe Droopy is known in English as Gary and Droopy as a snail. Oh. I didn't know they changed it for the Belgian version. No, neither did I. But what is Droopy? The answer is a snail. He's called Gary, really. I have also just Googled it. The Mad King is a thing in uh, the English version of Game of Thrones as well. Yeah, I, I know who the Mad King is. I have no idea. <laughs> I've never seen it. So the other five have to insert themselves into a program that Katrina and Analotta can see on the screen to the side. It is a real program, by the way, because Holgermat has linked to the actual TV listing called Images of Autumn. They have to give them the answers, or at least where to find the answers. Three of them will go on foot into one bike. Sven and Philip are the bikers, as Sven finds hiking pointless, and Lennart, Samina, and Yasmina the hikers. The team that reaches the top of the mountain first will get the chance to earn more money for the group. And Annalosa and Katrine's answers are hidden in 421 potential episodes. What's funny is I've hosted a challenge very similar to this in one of my online survivor games, where I tend to make it my first individual immunity challenge, where it's sort of an endurance thing, where it's like, Watch this TV show where I know all the episodes are on YouTube. There's a couple hundred episodes. Here are 30 questions. Try and find all the answers. <laughs> so I'm thinking, oh, they, that, that's kind of one of my ideas. It's just taken to, it's just the, it just has the Belgian mole twist on it. Yeah, well, the first challenge this episode is basically based on the British quiz show Catchpoint, at least the, the scoring goals bit, because in Catchpoint, there's, like, I think it's nine pipes above you, and a ball drops out of one of them. And you have to answer a question based on which pipe you want to go under, basically. And you can jump for it if you've gone to the wrong pipe. So it's basically just to take off a catch point, that that challenge. Just with an added football twist in there as well. So would you have... Well, stupid question here. Would you have done the e-bike or would you have done the hiking? Oh, I don't know how to ride a bike, so I'm going to go with hiking. (laughs) (laughs) I realised as soon as I started asking that question that it was quite a stupid one. Maybe I should have chosen the binge-watching. If I knew, it's like, oh, well, you either do this super, this high incline where you have to tie branches together for hiking, or you're going to have to ride a bicycle, or be a binge-watcher, which one are you going to choose? If the wording was set up that way, then I might be the (laughs) binge-watcher. I think as the mole, you probably want to be a binge-watcher, being honest because that's the best way to control the money. The mole's job is always to control the money, in theory, and you can only really control half of the pot if you're in the hiking team or in the biking team. You can control all of the pot if you are the binge-watcher. Yeah, but the thing is you have another binge-watcher with you, and Isidore's keeping an eye on you as well. Apparently, uh, traditionally, Dashuns are used to sniff out moles, by the way. I found that out this week as well. Literally, it translates to badger dog, but apparently they are used to sniff out moles as well. Interesting. So the hikers go immediately wrong thanks to Lennart's navigational problems, and Sven and Philip reach the first webcam where they can pass on the chicken dance to Anna, Lossa, and Katrine, which is the title of the Sex and the City episode that they need. And this entire scene is just delightful. Because if there is one person who I want to see unenthusiastically doing the birdie song... It is definitely Sven. <laughs> He's doing the chicken dance, and it was interesting at first because Amelot looks at the at the images of Autumn with Sven on screen, but it doesn't really compute with her. 
And then later on when they see it, they're like, oh, what the hell is this? And then they figure out what, what the whole challenge is supposed, to, is supposed to be. I think it's fairly easy to ignore when Philip is halfway across the quarry, just doing the birdie dance from there. I don't think you can ignore it when Sven's face is two inches away from the camera just staring at you. There's a difference between a beautiful nature spot and Sven boring holes into your soul through the camera. Yeah, like where Philip was, it's like, oh, I mean, you just think there'd be some guy who's just having fun in the middle of the field. (laughs) Here it's like, okay, this is very clearly Sven, and this is clearly very related to our challenge. There was a theory a few weeks ago that this season has basically just been constructed to annoy Sven, like doing things that he absolutely would detest. I'm mainly thinking of stuff like the very first challenge as a team being hug each other for prolonged periods of time. This is another challenge where I don't think Sven was really enjoying himself. And it makes this challenge so much better. Oh yeah, even the small. The funny thing is that the chicken dance is going to be the most enjoyable part of, of this challenge. I just... I had so much fun watching Sven doing this first bit of the challenge and trying to get a banner from it because Sven is our banner for this episode yet again. Yes, a Sven. I think this is the... It's definitely two, it might be three episodes now that Sven has had the banner, just because Sven's reactions to everything are so delightfully unenthusiastic that it just makes me howl every time. I can't help myself, he's just, he's the funniest person in this cast for me. He certainly wasn't smiling when doing the chicken dance. I think Philip Philip had to teach him how to do it. It's not even the lack of smiling doing the, uh, the chicken dance, it's the fact that he looks so bored doing it and yet continues to do it on the webcam over and over again until they see him. What's funny is that he was going to quit, and it was Philip who said, no, you stay there, just do it one more time, please, for me, Sven. So I was thinking if Sven quits right then... They don't get it. They, they don't... They, yeah, Katrine and Analot have no idea how to get the hints, and there's no way they'll, they'd earn a single penny for that challenge. It's only because Sven stays there for an extra 60 seconds. Yeah, there's absolutely no way that they spot the zip liners, for example, without knowing that people are going to fly over. Yeah, because the well, because they were barely on screen. Well, yeah, <laughs> they saw something in the corner. I'm thinking, if I was if I was in that room, I'd just be thinking, oh, a bird got in front of the camera briefly, or something like that. Or if a that piece of paper that had where all analogs saw was the letter S, I'd be thinking, oh, you know, a piece of piece of paper just flew across the screen. There's no way I would think that that was part of the challenge. And going back to the Argentina connection, this has a bit of a vibe of the Magical Mystery Tour challenge. Of the two people separated, have no idea actually what the challenge really is going to be, and what help they can have as a result of it, and having to work it out on their own. This is a challenge that I genuinely could have seen in Argentina, and it probably would have worked in Argentina. Oh, with the copper wires? Not just with the copper wires, but with the taxi tour through Buenos Aires. Oh, the radio, radio, yeah, 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 yeah. It has a vibe of that again. Yeah, where they have to be clued in by the other contestants. Like, no, this is what the challenge is supposed to be. <laughs> so Philip on his own at the back of the quarry doing the birdie song is just a little bit sad. And Sven correctly says that he doesn't think Philip was seen, so he just climbs the rock wall. The hikers find the second camera with the legend season one, episode five, where they will find the Het Island dancer. And their camera is in a birdhouse, so they have to raise the sign up as high as possible. Sven reaches the first camera and does the least enthusiastic performance of the birdie song ever, and Anna Lotter and Katrine spot Sven at the last second and notice him doing the birdie song. 
the hikers search for a big enough branch to show off their sign. And in another kind of Argentina's rowback, Giel actually tells us exactly how to do this properly and how stupid they are. Yeah, this is what I'm thinking. This is one of the rare times where Jill's like, yeah, you would think it's difficult, but it's actually a very simple and easy solution. Jill doesn't do that anymore. The main one in Argentina I can think of is the very first challenge with the how to get the liquid out of the bottle. Jill does a demonstration on that one. They don't tend to tell us the solutions if people are just being stupid and can't work it out. Yeah, I always like it when they say, actually, this, this is you know, just right in their face. Yeah, this, this is how you do it. Because <laughs> it was the same with the 11 Pass Fragen game, I think, as well. I think Gilles told us the strategy for that one to make it work. Yeah, he does He does it every now and then. I'm sure there's more examples. Yeah, I can't remember the last time he actually did it, but it's something that they definitely did in Argentina. So it, it throws back to the Argentina vibe again. Maybe it's just me kind of seeing these things. So they find the right episode and earn the first 500 euros of the challenge, thanks to the birdie song. Yeah, even with as much Sex in the City knowledge that I have, it's a bit hazy after all these years, so I, I wouldn't have been able to get it right off the top of my head, unfortunately. Quite proudly, I have never seen Sex in the City. Oh, you need to be unemployed again. Because <laughs> that's when I caught it. Was It was after I was done university, but before I'd been hired to work anywhere, and then... This was my routine. There'd be, because there was the one cable channel that had Sex in the City on every night at like midnight, because I used to go to bed. Well, nowadays I go to bed really late because of teaching. But back when I was unemployed, it'd be like Sex in the City would be on TV playing in the background while I'm playing uh, Shin Megami Tensei Devil Survivor 2 on the Nintendo DS. That was my daily routine, probably for a good two months or so, because I managed to get through all the episodes. Yeah, that would have been about eight years ago now. We are learning so much about you at the moment. Because we had the Canadian prom thing last week as well. I was thinking, like, if if, if Katrine and... I'm, I'm assuming that one of them had is familiar with Sex in the City, because I'm thinking, wait, all they say in the clue is Carrie Bradshaw. If you don't know which actress plays Carrie Bradshaw, you are screwed, even with knowing the episode title. I mean, I'm a quizzer. I would have known Carrie Bradshaw or Sex in the City. I just know absolutely nothing about it. So they end up basically just giving up on the dangling the season one, episode five thing and continue racing. Leonard was saying he was waving it for half an hour. Is that what they said? I don't know, but he was not waving it very well for half an hour. No, that was not a like flowing wave. It was like just barely moving it every once in a while. It was like a white flag. He was just kind of sullenly waving it. So the third camera is found by the hikers. Their phrase is Storm Brewing, which is the Spongebob answer, and they have to paint it on a banner to fly in front of the camera on a zipline, which requires perfect timing, something that they do not have. It was perfect timing for it not to be seen? It's almost impressive how badly Samina counted this. Yeah, it's like, Samina, I rolled you out as the mole, but that was just... Would the mole really have that that blatant of a sabotage? I don't know. Like The best thing about this for me is the fact that she counts it basically doing one Mississippi, two Mississippi, but she has a watch. Just look at it with the watch. You just have to be roughly right. But the fact that she timed it so badly constantly makes this challenge lose for them. This one, yeah, they don't even, Enelot and Katrine don't even see anything. It's just, no, that was it, over oh, two guys. 
So Samina does count the time between images, which is 40 seconds, and Yasmin goes on the zip line, but is just a little bit too slow. And then we see challenge four for the bikers, but with zero context, because Philip has to portray Kissed by Fire, the Game of Thrones episode title where the Mad King actually is, by having it written on his chest and his back and flying on a rope swing repeatedly. You think the Mad King actually dies in that episode, Michael? Well, that's that's what they said. That is incorrect. They established the Mad King is dead long before the first episode. They, it's just something that gets talked about. That is when they can actually get the answer to their question, which is all the messes. Anyway, so yeah, Philip looks like one of those guys at an American sporting event with having the letters spray painted on his body. The best thing is, the next day, Philip still has Kissed by Fire written on his chest. <laughs> he didn't get a chance to shower. So Katrina and Anilosa just miss it, and then they get it on the second attempt and find the right Game of Thrones episode. Leonard does the zipline next. They just mistime it again and give up because they want to beat Sven and Philip to the top. And they get the Game of Thrones answer just before Sven and Philip reach the top of the mountain where Zeal is waiting for them. Now all they have to do to double the money for the challenge is spend the night in a tent hanging off the cliff 70 metres up. In a storm. Well, they don't even know it's a storm at that point. It's just a beautiful alpine accommodation in October. Outside. How would you have done with this doubling challenge? Uh, I don't know. The climate would have sucked. I've never gone camping, and I have a fear of heights. (laughs) Even discounting the fact that it was a storm and they ended up having to call it off. I don't think that would be a very pleasant night. I think I would be absolutely terrified. (laughs) The biggest thing I was thinking about is... You have a quiz the next day. You're not going to be able to sleep. You're going to be completely sleep deprived and then have to take the quiz. It's like, is that worth it? Don't you want to be mentally sharp for the quiz? I don't think I would want to have zero minutes of sleep overnight just for a thousand euros into the pot. But they do end up saying yes to it, which is a surprise. So as the boys are hanging off the cliff, Lennis is left alone for the night and he gets to sleep with Izzy in the room as company. And Sven and Philip reunite with the group on day 11. At quarter past midnight, their guide, who was in a tent next to them, told them it wasn't safe to continue because of the storm, and they were evacuated from the challenge. However, as they didn't quit before then, they did double the money, earning them €2,000 of a possible 4000 for the challenge. And as I said, the writing is still on Philip's chest. I wonder how long they were up there then, because you got to think it was... Close to nightfall, when the challenge ended, they would have had to set up all of that gear, go through all the safety training, because I'm sure there would have been a lot of it for something like that. (laughs) So I'm going to guess they probably weren't up there for more than, say, three hours before they were evacuated. Because there's no way it was just like, oh, you're going to go sleep, uh, sleep on the edge of the cliff for tonight and then within half an hour they're in their tent it's like no there's probably a good couple hours until they were ready to begin the challenge so there's no way there was more than three or four hours in the tent i would say so sunset on that day in fronten was six forty-eight p.m oh six forty-eight. okay that was later than i thought it was going to be yeah that was probably just a little over a couple hours that they were in there then i would say yeah, it was probably it was probably four hours then. Well, suns well, it's still slightly light when it's the official sunset. Yeah, but it was dark when they um, 
when they actually did the zip lining, wasn't it? So it's it probably was about four, I'd guess. Yeah, it, yeah, definitely not more than four though. That's for sure because there had to be so much training. Because I'm sure if I were Philip Stark Sven, I'd be asking a lot of questions to make sure I wasn't going to die. <laughs> so they head to a barn for the final challenge of the episode, and Jill is watching them on CCTV. And Jill, I think it's fair to say, has a lot of fun with this challenge. It's his first real opportunity this season to fuck with people, and fuck with people he does. He's like the guy at the start of the challenge, reminds me of the guy from... Uh... Who's the who's the guy that sings the Toy Story soundtrack? Randy Newman. Yeah, Randy Newman. Yeah, I always forget which Newman it is. Because in uh, Family Guy, when they have the apocalypse episode, they have Randy Newman playing the piano and he narrates everything that the Griffins are doing. Where say Chris Griffin finds an apple tree and, they, and then he grabs the apple. He's like, Chris finds an apple tree. He takes a bite. He chews it. He likes it. The best thing about this is the fact that Leonard completely ignores his instructions at one point. So Jill narrates from the motorhome, he tries to get Leonard to notice there is a bomb on the table. He does it twice and then just moves on to Samina, who's more cooperative with his instructions. Yeah. He's like, Leonard! Leonard notices a bomb on the table. Oh, fuck it. Samina notices a bomb on the table. Oh, there's a bomb on the table. <laughs> so they sit down at the table... Despite the explosive situation, they toast to the mole and the 5,000 euros they could earn today. However, two of their chairs are rigged to the bomb's detonator. If they both stand up, they will set the bomb off. Five people will be sent up to the upstairs area, and the remaining two will have to dismantle the bomb or choose a pile of pacifragan to share. It would have been funnier to see how far Joe's would have gone with the instructions, where he's like, the candidates sit down. Okay, I guess we have to sit down. They all have a glass of water. Okay, I guess we gotta drink this water. At the end of their meal, they will assign a very generous check to the waiters. Oh, I guess we have to pay a bunch of money to the waiters. And then they kiss each other. Oh, I guess we gotta kiss each other. Okay, Joel said we had to. So the clue as to who needs to leave is in the food that they're provided with. Samina basically gives it away by noticing that her stew is spicy before Jill actually says it. The two with the bomb chairs do not have spicy soup. And they all have to act like their soup isn't spicy to give it away. Samina tries to claim otherwise afterwards. <laughs> and one's like, too late, Samina. You kind of told us it was spicy even before even before you knew that was going to be the challenge. Can we rule Samina out here now? Yes. I looked at my notes. I officially ruled her out. What was it? Last week or even week two, I said there's... I think it was, oh yeah, the wine glass challenge, I said. Ah, Samina had so many chances to screw up the wine. I really don't think she's the mole. Last week I put her out in the ruled out category. And it's like, yeah, Samina's not the mole. But the other great (laughs) thing is that Leonard looks like a sad puppy trying to pretend his soup isn't spicy, even though he definitely cannot hold his spice. Yeah, his eyes are watering so bad. He's like, yeah, my eyes are watering. Mine's not spicy, but Yasmin's eyes are very watery too. Both of them were lying anyway. Yeah, yeah, both. It's like, yeah, that's a pretty good indicator. So they each have to write two names down. Whoever has the most votes will be the first pair to leave the table. And Samina calls out Jill, not naming her. So he does. He's like, he, he says, Samina with the weird strategy. Jill <laughs> recaps everyone's actions and then completely forgets about Samina, given that even he has ruled her out, basically. <laughs> 
So Anna Lossa reads the votes, Samina and Lennart receive five votes each, Yasmin gets two, Katrina and Philip one each, and Anna Lossa and Sven none. That means somebody didn't vote for Sabina. The question is who, because obviously we don't know. Yeah, Isidore doesn't get a vote. No, Isidore, what you couldn't see was under the table just booping the uh, the bomb until it set off, just to be sure. Or going for crumbs. He's an agent of chaos, as we saw last week. He just gives the, uh, the dominoes a little boop just to make sure they don't earn any money. So Samina stands up, she's not on a bomb chair, and neither was Lennart, they chose wisely. The remaining five have brought glasses of water to help with their fiery mouths. Well, the two bomb chairs were, the other three have snaps with a 50% alcohol volume. Oh, I couldn't even imagine trying to drink 50% alcohol in one big gulp like that. This is just so nasty anyway, because even if they had spicy food, water wouldn't do them any good. Water is terrible for spicy food. You need milk, because... yeah. You need something that neutralizes the uh, the spiciness. Water will just kind of swill it around your mouth and do nothing about it. I mean, don't get me wrong, snaps is worse for it because alcohol will make your throat burn even more if it's already screwed due to spiciness. It's not alcohol, Michael, it's 50%. This is the traditional challenge every season where they just try and get people absolutely shit-faced. Like a beer or a vodka, a beer has about 5% alcohol, typically at the most, unless it's a Japanese beer. And then vodka soda is typically around 6 can be 6 or 7%. Wine is 13 And then once you get into your liqueurs, it's typically it maxes out at about, highest I think I've ever drank was 40%. And that is strong stuff. That's something that you put a splash into whatever else you're drinking. So I'm thinking 50% and it's not being mixed with anything. Whew. I can't imagine. So Jill in his voiceover accuses Sven of being an alcoholic. For Sven, snaps is like water. Sven and Katrine apparently both have bad images in the group. But Yasmin doesn't, despite, you know, taking the pass for last week. Anna Lotta is the only one who apparently actually has a good image. And Katrine doesn't drink. The second round of voting is for another two people. Philip gets four votes, Katrine three, Yasmin two, and Anna Lotta one. And Sven yet again gets no votes. Katrine is the first to leave. Her chair was not a bomb chair. And she's kind of drunk. And Philip gets up. His chair wasn't a bomb chair either. And they chose wisely once again. What was funny is that as soon as Philip starts pointing the finger at other people where he's like, Yasmin, you were wiping your, your lips with the napkin. You must be... Must not be on a bomb chair either. And then he points out Katrine. And then Sven's like, you know what? This makes Philip really suspicious. I think we should all vote for Philip out of this challenge. I think the mole kind of has to make sure they're on a bomb chair. To guarantee the money state gets out of the pot. Yeah, because when they're one on one, they can kind of go, but don't you want to take a pass frog? <laughs> Even if I get five, don't you want to have one? It's still an advantage. I think the mole definitely has to play it to make sure they're on a bomb chair. I was thinking there's a good chance, actually, well, considering one of them is my prime suspect, thinking, yeah, pretty good shot that the mole was on a bomb chair in that challenge. So the final three receive an apple strudel each, the bombers get a normal apple strudel, the one remaining innocent gets one filled with worms. And somehow they figure out it was Yasmin, but she didn't flinch. You know how they figured out it was Yasmin? Exactly the same way I figured out it was Yasmin. The fact that she gags when she takes the first bite. <laughs> she visibly gags. <laughs> it's very, very quick, but the camera actually focuses on her when she's taking her first bite, and you can see her go, Ooh. Ooh. 
I guess they were watching each other so closely, it was hilarious because they're like, okay, no, you take a bite, you take a bite, you take a bite. <laughs> we're going to watch each person take each individual bite. I'm thinking, what a fun way to have dessert. You want, everyone takes a turn taking a single bite, and then everyone else has to take a turn before you get another one. So the final vote takes place. Only one name is chosen each. Two votes for Yasmin and one for Sven. Her chair wasn't a bomb chair, meaning that they played a perfect round. What's funny is that if I had the apple strudel, I'd be gagging regardless. As would I. (laughs) I was thinking exactly the same thing. I would have definitely gone out in this round purely because I'm not a big fan of apple. Yeah, it's the strudel, like those type of pastries and pies, I do not like whatsoever. So it'd be funny if like Yasmin is the one that has, the one with the worm strudel is the one who is able to keep it down the best better than either of us. I would have been absolutely fucked. <laughs> if it was me, you, and Yasmin doing that challenge, it's like, well, it's definitely not Yasmin. She kept it together. I think it's Michael. <laughs> so to win the 5,000 euros, Analot and Sven have to dismantle the bomb. They get two final cloches that come down the stairs, one with instructions on how to dismantle the bomb, and one with six Passfragen. Once the cloches are brought down, a five-minute timer begins. And Sven goes straight for it. He says, I'm not going to bullshit you. We're taking the Passfragen right. Anna also gets up and reads what's under the Passfragen dome. She tells him that they're not divided equally, and the division is five for one person and one for the other. And they only earn the Passfragen if the bomb goes off, and they are holding their Passfragen discs at that time. And she tries to convince him to let her have the five and him the one, bringing the dog into it, because she looked after Izzy so much in the past two episodes. Sven takes the one disc, but Jill basically tells him over the tannoy to negotiate, because this is boring TV. Yeah, Jill's is like, by the way, Sven, you're in a very powerful position. And I was thinking with Analot, she doesn't mention this until the quiz, but it's a very good point that she has to focus on Isidore so much that she probably doesn't get to observe as much as all the other contestants do throughout the game. I think it's very interesting, because this is the most that Izzy actually comes into it this episode. We kind of see him in their arms at the uh, Olympia Stadion, and then we really don't see much of him outside of Leonard sleeping in the same room as him. So it's interesting that Annalotti uses Izzy as kind of the bargaining chip here. Bring the dog into this. It's like bringing the kids into a, into a divorce. So the time dwindles and the bomb goes off with them holding their Passfragen discs. It is not a traditional paint bomb this time. It is the same setup as the German mole Ruth Memorial Challenge. Basically a paint powder rather than the full-on paint. And that means that they earn nothing of €5,000 for the challenge, 2000 of €13,000 for the episode, and 12600 of 49000 for the season so far. Sven comes off as the most suspicious since he was so willing to take just one pass Passfragen. Because you'd think the person with the one pass Passfragen would be like, you know what, let's just take the 5000 instead. I don't know, because Annalotta rushed up to read the um, to read what was under the dome. Which meant that her bomb chair basically had gone off already. They'd lost a life. If Sven had got up, the bomb went off. Sven was in a pickle because he had to trust Annalotta, but also he couldn't get up and actually read what was under the domes himself. Because if he did, he he lost. Yeah, but I mean, just the way he didn't really... How the 5,000 euros wasn't even an option to him. Hence why Joe's was like, um, you know, 5,000 euros is still on the table, right? You can still pitch that idea. And considering this was an 80-minute episode, <laughs> uh, I think we would have seen. I, w- I think we would have seen the footage of Sven saying, "You know what? Is the five thousand euro option still an idea? Because one pass dragon isn't that valuable." I wonder if by this point, Annalotta 
was being suspected by Sven and he was using it to test her. Because the mole wouldn't care whether they got one or five here. The mole, if they were on one of those bomb chairs, would just want to make sure that they took the past Fargan regardless. That's what I mean. Like, Sven didn't even think about the 5,000s. Like, oh, that's a 5,000 euro Passfragen chip. Not compared to the 250 euros that we said earlier should be its value. I mean, regardless, it's very expensive for Passfragen, even if it's six for 5,000 euros. But the fact that Sven only gets one out of it, I'm like, I don't know, man. (laughs) That's pretty suspicious. So it's now time for the test. 20 questions on the identity and actions of the mole. Whoever knows least is out of the game, except for the mole who can never go home. Anna Lotta has five Passfragen, and Sven has one. Sven says he's happy with one Passfrag. Anna Lotta held all the cards in the end of the challenge. His first goal is to see his loved one, which should be the next day. Yasmin says if Anna Lotta is the mole, then she's trusted her way too much already. She's suspicious of Sven and Philip, despite them earning money the previous day. Anna Lotta took a bit more risk answering, due to her Passfragen, but if there is a time to take it slow, it is tonight. She says that Isidore is a slight distraction at every challenge, and she's so focused on him that she missed the nature screen. Philip says it's suspicious that Sven immediately sat on the right chair, and he sounds like he's gone all in again. Leonard couldn't hide the reaction to the spicy food, he's got sensitive eyes. Samina couldn't count to save her life in the zipline sub-challenge. Katrine says she had a ton of busy up until today, but has spread over two people this time. Samina says it would be hard for the adventure to be over already. She would blame herself for what she did in the food challenge if she went home. Gilles says at the execution that he doesn't want to stir the pot, but he does notice that they disregarded 5,000 euros very easily earlier in the day and are at about a quarter of the maximum pot. He does say the maximum pot could have been over 50,000 euros at this point. He is wrong. It is 49,000. I have checked my maths. Samina and Sven get green screens before Katrine is sent home. And... Interestingly, if you cast your mind back to when we spoke to Gilles in 2018 now, jeepers, I did ask him the question of whether he's ever messed up typing someone's name in. And do you remember what his answer was? No, I don't. He said that he only has to type in the first couple of letters and then it auto-types after that. I think if you watch carefully, with Katrine here, it auto-types and you can tell. Because it starts typing without him touching the keyboard. It's the first time I've ever actually spotted it in the episodes. Maybe she saw audio, like, Katrine, okay. He types in, like, K-A-T, and then it auto-completes it, basically. I don't know whether it's a producer manually doing it for him, or whether whether it just auto-does it on the program they do it on. But it definitely looks like it completes her name without him typing, if you watch it. Because I watched it a couple of times to make sure I was right with this instinct, but it's the first time I've ever actually spotted it where it does kind of fill in the blank at the end. It makes sense because it's because imagine if it was on if somebody's like there's a typo and they have to hit backspace a couple times. It would be a hilarious mood killer if he did accidentally type people's names in wrong, wouldn't it? Oh right, it's I, it's I E N I E N. Oh yeah, you're executed. He's glaring at them and it, it constantly pressing enter. Like, why the fuck is it not working? Oh shit, I spelled it wrong. Backspace, 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 backspace. I E N enter red screen. You hear like the old school Windows ninety five error message, like that. Boom, boom. Oh, I keep typing I A M. Fuck. <laughs> I E N red screen. Good. We can all go home now. <laughs> so Katrine says outside that she's going to think about what happened tonight for a long time. Leonard says he thinks she was enjoying herself on the inside. 
and Anna Lassa says she was jealous as Katrine was never stressed in the challenge. And obviously her highlight was the piano challenge. So next time, Sven directs a film, Philip uses a water pistol, Leonard's head gets stuck in a water tank, there is traditional Bavarian dancing, and Samina lassoes a man with a sausage. Sven learns the horn, and Jill locks them in a van. Do you want to eulogise Katrine, not that we've spoken about her much today? Um, She was never really on my suspect list. She always tried really hard to add money to the pot. I fear what will happen to the group now that they're, they don't really have anybody who's gung-ho about earning money. She kind of peaked in episode two with the piano challenge and with kind of being the boss in that. But she was always a very kind of steady presence in the episodes. She was always trying to earn money. I never really suspected her. She was on the bubble on episode two for me, but I didn't end up putting her in my uh, in my top three then. But I never really suspected her outside of that. As I said in episode two as well, if we had reversed our draft orders, she would have been on your team, Noah would have been on my team. So it kind of helps that now we are actually at the point where in this final six, whoever is the mole would have been picked by that person regardless. There is no ambiguity about whether the draft order affected it now. It's just we would have drafted these teams regardless, these final threes for each of ourselves. And something very interesting to note, Philip has now gone straight ticket on his last two quizzes and he's still in there. Well, he went straight ticket on the bunker elimination and then in this one. He didn't go straight ticket last week. Yeah, or, or pardon me, yeah. So t- two of the last three. Two, yeah, two of the last three, which is a pretty big deal to do it that early and not get eliminated. It is, and we don't know who went straight ticket on either. They're not going to reveal it, so it makes you think that, hmm, Philip probably is on the right person. Maybe, maybe not. Or maybe not. <laughs> But it, it certainly looks good for him right now. Because everyone else is splitting, so whoever Katrine split split between was still a lower score than whoever Philip went all in on. So, in the first suspicions list, four people had Katrine as their bottom suspect left, which was Antonio, Walter, Carl, and Aaron. Three of those, Walter, Carl, and Aaron, also had her as number 10 on their initial list, with the ends at number 11. Four people had her at number 1, Megan, Mikhail, Tia and Ben. Only one person who had Katrine in 6th out of 7 last week didn't have Sven in 7th last week out of 6 people who did. Leonard's still number 1 overall with 2.38 out of 6. Philip is 2nd, 3.47. Then Sven on 3.5, dead on. Yasmin on 3.59. Then Samina and Anna Lossa both on 4.03. Philip and Samina are the only two people left more suspected by Logan and I than the group as a whole. Sven is on three and a half regardless, and Lennart, Yasmin, and Analotta are less suspected by us than the group as a whole. The lowest score on the tiebreaker you could have is 21. The current lowest score is 26, scored by two people. Holger Matt for the second week on the trots, and Carl. Logan is on 31 points, and I'm on 29, and the average score is 33.1. In the pool, I've lost my second person in Katrine, leaving me with Analotta, Lennart, and Philip, and Logan still has Yasmin, Samina, and Sven. Have you got anything else you want to say before we do our suspicions? I wish Leonard would have joined in on the face masks at the Bavarian Inn. It did feel very exclusive. I felt like he was being excluded by the girls there. I think he was allowed to join in. I mean, there's some slight teasing there where they're like, they're like well, there is an option for you. You can pick somebody who is a little furry, has bad breath, and is a little noisy, and somehow they all unanimously said, oh, that's Yasmin. 
So it makes you think, when Yasmin ate the worm strudel, did, ma- did it make her breath smell better or worse? Yeah, maybe she just used it as uh, as mouthwash. Yeah, and this it's just a very odd gender division too when they have their downtime, like Philip, Sven, and Leonard were all hanging out together, especially at the start of the episode, and the the four women were in the spa together trying to come up with ways to earn money. So yeah, it's a bit odd. It's a bit odd that they're not all hanging out together as a group. So now we are down to six people. Who are your top two suspects? So top two would be Sven and Leonard. Interesting. Any reason why? Well, Leonard is still screwing up so much. <laughs> I mean, the hike, the hiker group earned a whole lot of nothing. And he was also in the Zorb soccer game that ultimately led to you no know, money being earned. And Leonard was upside down for like half the challenge. Sven did a couple of suspicious things where he allowed goals. Like there was the one time where he kicked a ball straight to one of the Germans, and then the German it was a, instead of kicking it to the net, it was essentially a pass to the German guy, and the German guy kicked it into the net. So I'm like, hmm, that's a pretty subtle way to be like, I'm a really good, I'm the best soccer player in this challenge, and still screw up really badly. It's like okay, he has the one good performance and the biking challenge. But he was the one that was really nervous. So I don't know if he was going to bail at like one or two in the morning or if he was going to actually stay there the whole night. It's like, wonder if he was rescued by the evacuation in more ways than one. And then just going for the one pass dragon, I'm like, this really counterbalances the 2,000 euros that he earned in the cliff challenge. He just took out 5,000 euros for one lousy pass dragon and not really challenging Analot enough on why she should have five pass dragon. He really gave Analot a free pass on it. And then, yeah, Yasmin's sort of like my loose outlier suspect. I think after this week, I'm kind of discounting Sven. Because, yes, he let balls in, but he was the only person who scored any balls in that challenge for the Belgian team. He was the only person who scored all three of them. Because he even pointed out himself at the end of the challenge that he's got a hat-trick in the Olympia Stadium. So he was the only person who actually was playing properly in the football challenge. Then he went above and beyond, managed to get the um, the birdie dance clue to Katrina and Annalotta, and then doubled the money that they'd actually earned as well on top of that. And in fact, both clues that they got correct were from Philip and Sven. And then they doubled that money as well. Yes, he lost the 5,000 euros, but I think he was probably testing Annalotta. I have that theory purely because we kind of saw that he was suspecting Annalotta in the uh, in the quiz this week. I think he was half on Annalotta and testing her, and that helped solidify his suspicion. Because as soon as she got up, he couldn't go for the money. As soon as she got up, basically they were locked into doing the pass frog and are absolutely nothing, because he couldn't stop her. So then he basically had to try and do the five pass Ragen. But if he's a player, then thinking about it, having one pass frog is better than having no pass frog at that point. As soon as she gets up, they lose the money regardless because he can't then get up and grab the instructions or whatever. So then it's a choice between letting the bomb go off and then winning absolutely nothing, but then stopping his mole getting any pass Ragen, or getting a pass frog for himself and just getting one and not leaving that challenge empty-handed. That's the logic I kind of see in it. 
Samina, I've obviously discounted after that last challenge and after the wine challenge and everything we've discussed previously. Yeah, I've ruled out Philip and Samina. Last week I had Philip and Samina both ruled out too. I'm looking at my notes. My two suspects this week are Anna Lotta and Lennart. Because in this episode especially, Anna Lotta positioned herself three times where the mole would want to be placed. She was in the football team. She was then in the binge-watching group, because you have the control over the money, and then she was on the bomb chair leading that discussion. And as you said, Leonard's just a little bit shady. I don't know whether it's just he's a little bit inept and is a contestant who just cannot do challenges, or whether he's deliberately trying to sabotage, but he's my second this week as a result of it. Yeah, if you hashtag follow the money, Leonard is... Definitely the biggest offender. Yeah, he's he's earned like 480 euros for the group. Yeah, he's failed at everything, I think, this season. I can't think of a single challenge where the only time that he succeeded was because of the of a challenge he wasn't even aware of, which was the contestants betting on who would make it through the hypnotist show. He unintentionally earned money for the pot. <laughs> Final question, who do you think's going next week? That is a good question. I do not know what this group ironically i forgot last week to ask and then katrine who i suspected the week before would go went this week uh i'm hoping one of my suspects goes because i just i just can't see philip or samina being the mole so i hope they both still stay in yasmin yeah i'm plumping for yasmin next week because as i said last week she just feels like a mid-season a mid-season female boot in the in the vein of Isa and marsena and I feel like she needs to live up to her legacy at some point, and that she's probably going to be the next to go out of this group. But yeah, I can't believe we're already four episodes into this thing. This has been a fast season so far. I know, next week's halfway. Next week we are halfway through our actual episodes of the season, and three weeks away from finding out who the mole is. Yeah. That's nuts. So, thank you for listening to our Demol Bursary Recap. We will be back next week to continue the hunt for the nearest mole in Germany. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan's on Twitter at Lux of Kowaki, and I am MJ Harmstone. Thank you as always to Natalia for the subtitles. We'll see you next week. Peace out and just chill to the next of flavor.